So we are just going to move from a time of worship into a time of hearing um, from God, um, perhaps through Uriah and Nicole. Um, so and I just think it's quite fitting after singing that song that um, they might encourage some of us here this morning that we might want to go out into the mission field like they have. And so I would just like to invite Uriah and Nicole up this morning. We could give them a hand. So I, for one, am really excited. I haven't actually had a chance to talk much to these guys since they've been back. Um, and so I'm really looking forward to it. I'll hand it over to you. Good morning, church. As you've just heard, Nicole and I had the pleasure of going over to Uganda and share the gospel in what we do with our professional technical skills. So this morning is going to be an opportunity for us to share with you guys what exactly that looks like. I'm going to start off with a video. Enjoy. Say my name. Hello, my name is Buan Kadeus. Uh, I would like to share with you my story. Buanika's story could be the story of many of the street kids in Uganda's capital city of Kampala. Today, there are over 10,000 street kids in Uganda with over 16 new children joining the Kampala streets every day. Buanika lived on and off the streets for over six years. It started for Buanika before he was 10 years old. Him and his family had moved back to Uganda from Tanzania after Buanika's sister had died. It was then that Buanika's father began to abuse him. Buanika's pre-teen years were characterized by abuse from his father, mother, stepmother, and aunts with periods when he would run away to the streets. I never felt loved with my family. Eventually, Buanica and his friends decided to leave their village and walk to Kampala. It was a long walk and took several attempts, but they made it to a slub called Kisenye, where they had found life wasn't any better. My first night on the streets was so difficult. We were sleeping and the policemen came and took one of my friends. I was so scared and I wanted to go back to the village, but I did, I did not have 
transport to go back to the village. So I lived same for one year and I moved to the another slum called Kivu. Bonica and his friends survived by picking some food from the trash, gathering scrap metal to sell, and sleeping where they could on the streets. This is the place where I used to sell things, scraps and metal. I used to sleep here. Uh, you get boxes and you lay them down and you sleep. Some of them sleep outside. This is the place where I used to watch movies. Watching movies during the day was the little entertainment they could find. The police would often harass the street kids just for picking up scrap metals. They would beat them and take them to prison. I went to prison five times while I was living on the streets. Prison was so difficult. In 2008, a woman came to the streets and took over 50 boys into a home, including Buonica. When I was in that home, I had problems with the uncles. One day when my teacher had sent me somewhere and I came home late and they, their uncle wanted to cane me, I told, I told him not to cane me because I was coming from helping a teacher. He told me to go back to the streets. So then I asked him to cane me instead. He would not change his mind so that he sent me back to the streets. Bonica went back to sleeping on the streets and picking scrap metal again. Many times I would lose hope and think that things would never change. When I did not have hopes, I would want to take drugs, but I did never take drugs when I lived on the streets. Juanica saw many terrible things on the streets, but the worst, he said, was seeing other street kids commit suicide due to the harsh life they were living. I would pray and pray to get off, this, off the streets and get back into a home. In 2011, Buonica was very sick from malaria and went to a street program where some aunts from Doors Ministry saw him and took him to the hospital. Once out, Buonica had to go back to the streets, but had befriended another street boy, Timothy, and the two of them became best brothers, helping each other to stay alive. In 2012, after much prayer, Doors Ministries was able to take Buonica and Timothy into the Doors home and get them both back into school. I was so happy to go to her home and to go back to school. At first, Buonica thought the home would be boring and even thought about running away, but knew if he did, he wouldn't be able to come back. 
when I was on the streets, I would fight other boys and people all the time. But now I have learned to fight for the good things that God has for me. I have learned so many things about God the past years. I have learned to help others because others have helped me. I have learned to follow God's rules because I know that they will keep me in the right way and the right place. In 2013, Bonica and the other boys at Doors Home had the opportunity to start a homeschooling program. This helped them all catch up from all the school they had missed while living on the streets. Bonica came to Doors Home not knowing how to read and had learned in four months. Doors Homes is my family. When Bonica lived on the streets, he knew God was there. But it wasn't until he came to Doors that he knew God was fighting for him. Um, so as you can see, there's some things that we experience and go through as volunteers there that are quite different to what we go through here. Um, we're constantly meeting kids that have come from backgrounds and pasts that we we just can't understand or comprehend what it's been like for them. Unfortunately for Nicole and I, we spent... Most of our time in an office, much as we would here, working nine to five, 40 hours a week. So I haven't, I, I went to the slums once because I got a friend there from my previous trips. But besides that, I was sitting behind a desk worshiping God with AutoCAD. So I'm just going to start with a prayer. All right. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for everything that you've given us. We thank you that you've you've shown yourself to us, that you've saved us from a life of sin, that we can know what hope is, that we can come before you now and pray knowing that we are washed clean, that we are whole in your sight. And Father, we we ask this morning that you would guide this program by your Holy Spirit that you would stir our hearts to be able to worship you and praise you in everything that we're doing. Amen. Okay, so to begin with, we started off with four people. One Jacob, who was going over there, he works as a chef here in New Zealand, um, Nicole, she, she is currently working with Kathmandu in retail. Myself, I work here as a structural engineer, and Jesse, who works here as a carpenter. The funny thing is that we all believe that we were sent there. We believe that the Holy Spirit has sent us out, and I believe Acts 13, 2 verse 4 really captures what we experienced in 
I'll just read it out. So while they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Sit apart for me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there on to Cyprus. So this whole journey for us began with Jesse being prophesied over in previous years. I don't know the full details, but I think there was two or three instances where he were, a prophet had come to his church or the church that he was visiting and spoken over his life that he would be going on a missions trip. Uh, Jesse also got told very explicitly that he would be going to Kampala in Uganda. In February, I was praying one night and the Holy Spirit clearly said to me that I'd be leaving in July. At that stage, I hadn't met Jesse or talked to him. Uh, and it wasn't until Easter service, the big Easter service that we had here. He came with his church. I came with my church. We met up and he said, I've been prophesied to go to Kampala. Can I talk to you about it sometime? So then we started meeting for dinner. And I was telling him about Kampala. From there, Nicole and Jacob started hearing that we were meeting together, talking about Kampala, and decided to tag along. And eventually, I broke the silence and admitted that God had told me that I'd be leaving in July. And we became a team. Some of these photos are the travel So in order to get there, there was a fair amount of planning to go through, and we started planning end of March, or something. I think we had about two months to plan it, and I was working 40 to 50 hour weeks. We're all working, trying to get as much money as we could, because we're about to go five months without pay. Uh, this is this verse is really relevant to that whole process, I believe, because even though you're trying to cover all aspects of something that's quite complicated, you don't always get there. And even this morning, like I planned it to go completely differently, and it's already changed. Praise God. So the first step for us, was to talk with our elders and mission coordinators. I call that step zero. Step one was meetings. We met every week with an agenda. There was five agendas, travel prep, personal prep, spiritual uh, support raising, ministry, and team. Step two was volunteer opportunities. I made a list of all the possible opportunities in Kampala and we had to choose from them and contact the people. Step three was sending out our CV to the volunteer organizations that we wanted to work with. Then there was an interlude. 
Jacob went fishing <laughs> and baked us some trout. He's a chef, so it was a mind-blowing experience. Step four, personal budgets. This one probably took the longest. It was the most arguing as we had disagreements. Should you include soda in the budget? Should you not? I'm, like You guys are laughing, but there's no sugar in Uganda. And if you don't get a sugar fix, it does funny things. Step five, names list. We made names of people that we could contact in order to raise support. We tried to come up with 200 names each and contact at least 100 people each. I just ran out of time and didn't end up doing it all the way. That's just another one of those things you plan on doing and you think you should do, but then it doesn't end up happening and you know you, you just have to trust in God for the rest. Step six, booking flights and getting shots. Another interlude. Jacob caught another fish. <laughs> and this time he smoked it for us. And it was delicious. Step seven, support raising letter. Writing this letter probably took each of us about 10 to 15 hours. You write it, you review it, you send it off for review, you write it again, you review it, and so on and so forth. It takes a long time. Step eight. This was Nicole's brilliant idea. When you're communicating with people, bring these little cards around so that they can have your contacts without you having to get out your cell phone or that sort of thing. Brilliant. Step nine, contract. So after we've already booked our flights, we get our contract and sign that. Now it's all official. Interlude. <laughs> Jesse proposes to his girlfriend. <laughs> That's good timing, right before you leave. <laughs> Step nine, communicating. Another one of Nicole's brilliant ideas. Let's chuck it up on Give a Little. Um, that was another method we used for support raising. Um, also, at this stage, we're meeting people every night, every lunchtime, every day, every spare moment, and just having fun. Step nine, communicate. Making a Facebook page. I suck at that. Nicole made it. Good job. And step nine again, communicate. Yeah, just as, just being transparent with the finances. This is what we've budgeted for. This is how much we've raised so far. We don't know where the rest of it's coming from. And step ten, team building. Sharing testimonies praying for each other, taking genuine concern and difficult things that are going on on the build-up to leaving and going through a bit of a culture shock brief. What is culture shock? How is it going to affect you? What can you expect when you get there? And how can we support each other? So that's the planning. It took a, a wee bit of time. And... Now I'm going to go into a bit of a brief overview of the ministries that we were serving with, who they are, what they do, what they believe in, and 
One of the things that I've always been very, very passionate about is that people use whatever, whoever they are, they become more of that. Whatever their strengths and gifts and skills are, they become more of that. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace. When you speak, you speak with the very words of God. When you serve, you serve with the strength God provides so that in all things, Christ, God may be praised through Christ. So the first ministry that we were communicating with and that we started our trip with is called Doors Ministries. Doors Ministries was a little bit... um, has been covered already a little bit in the video that you just saw. But some of... So their catchphrase there is to awaken the wild love of Jesus by discipling the nations. And their mission, for those of you who can't read it from there, is doors exist to inspire and empower the Ugandan community and other local communities by creating disciples of Jesus Discipleship is defined as the act of creating reflections of Christ through the modeling of love and international teaching of the word by accountability and a genuine desire to do life with and come alongside an expectation that disciples will multiply. So Doors has nine different arms, ministry arms, not nine arms. The top three are homes. There's the Doors Home, which is for younger boys, the Joshua Home for older boys, and the Sarah Sarah Home, which is for girls. Um, the middle three are the schools. There's a Doors Mission Mission School. So a lot of the boys that come off the streets haven't been to primary school. They're 18. They still need to go to primary school. Sending them to a primary school, they just get made fun of, and they don't really learn. It takes them a long time. The mission school school has 18-year-olds doing primary school level three. And it's a faster way to get them up, up to speed. The Doors Primary School is a primary school in the slums. Parents send their kids there. They can't afford to send their kids to school. And in return, they might do some work in the agriculture field. They might make some jewelry in the Adorned Women's Program. And then the secondary sponsorship program is kids that have graduated from primary school and want to go on to do secondary school. Doing secondary school isn't as common over there. You either do secondary school or vocational school. Um, But for those kids that got really good grades in primary school and are young enough to continue into secondary school, there's a sponsorship program option there for them. So top three are homes, middle three are schools, bottom left is jewellery making, the opportunity for women that don't have an income source to make some money, and the women's ministry, kids, women that were sending their children to the primary school in the slums wanted to learn and grow, and then Yahai's plot is all about sustainability providing eggs, chicken eggs, bananas, potatoes for the students in the school. There's a lot of malnourishment and a lot of kids die from malnourishment. So 
who are we serving with? Nicole and I are technical design professionals, and so we fit really well in with the EMI's um, slogan there, to glorify God by offering hope to the spiritually and physically poor. Wait, that's not the end of it. Engineering Ministries International is a non-profit Christian development organization made up of architects, engineers, and design professionals who donate their skills to help children and families around the world step out of poverty and into a world of hope. So they have four main aspects. The first is project trips. That's what Nicole and I were doing. We go to a site, we evaluate the site for a couple of weeks, and then we spend three to four months drawing or making up construction drawings and a report. There's construction management, disaster response, and wash. And if you guys want to take a look at our drawings in our report, you can. If you find any mistakes, I don't want to hear about it. (laughs) And that's everything that I've got to share. So Nicole's going to go on and tell you some stories about EMI. She's going to share with you some stories about Sozo and what it was like to work in those two environments. I'll start with a video if it's going to work. Um, Uh, I think we won't need sound, it'll be okay. Um, This just gives an overview of kind of life in Kampala. Chicken farms on one of the ministry grounds. Okay. Let's get to my back. So I spent the first month at Doors Ministries um, volunteering for them um, because the internship that I was part of for EMI didn't start until a month after we actually got there. Um, so at Doors, they really encouraged us to pray about how we were going to serve. Um, and that was kind of strange to me because I was like, oh, they're just going to tell me what they need me to do and um, that'll be it. But um, I think that was really cool in the sense that they had stuff for us to do, um, but they wanted us to seek from God um, how to go about that. And so um, through a lot of prayer and um reading his word and um, talking with the director and other staff of Doors and interacting with some of the boys. Um, I came up with some plans for what I personally felt led to do. Um, And I ended up working with the girls' ministry, and at the time there was no girls' home. It was just going to visit the girls in the slum, and they had a program going every Tuesday and Thursday um, with one of the staff members that was in charge of that. So I tagged along with that, and it was so cool to see 
um, how the girls in the slum were living and what they were doing to get by. Um, they, they, some of the older ones would go into the central market um, a few days a week and collect um, like beans off the ground that hadn't been sold and collect them all together because they were allowed to do that and then try and sell them themselves and that was how they would earn a living. Um, but going into the slum, it had this strange sense of um, peacefulness. It was just a quiet, much slower pace of living, even though it was right next to the central business district. Um, it was it was an interesting feeling seeing people living in such simplicity, but um, in in going through a lot of really really hard stuff. Um, but um, seeing how God was um, working in in that small slum and um, yeah, really shining light through his church there. Um, there was like three churches within one block inside the slum, inside the central business district of Uganda, um, Kampala, and it's just amazing how he's showing himself there. Um, and I also did a couple of conceptual landscape master plans for the primary school that you I talked about and um, Yahaya's plot, which... Um, the girls' ministry, and it's Yahaya's plot. There, you can see they've got lots of stuff growing, but no navigational paths really. So, um, I gave them a few ideas with that. Um, but what I spent most of that month on was actually a website, which um, some of you might have read my blog. But that really challenged me. I could have made a website from home, and but looking back on it now. If I hadn't have done the majority of that website while I was over there, I probably never would have completed it coming back here and just life getting in the way. Um, and so I was able to um, collaborate with Mallory um, and um, got photos together and all her ideas together and created this website, which she'd had people promise to her to do that previously and no one had really followed through. So we were able to follow through and now... This website is up and running, and I can't wait to see how it's going to work for them. Um, that's the home page, and then an example of what it goes to. It's just simple, but hopefully shows what they need it to. Um, so that leads me into EMI. Um, so after that first month, I started the internship with EMI as a landscape architect intern. Um that as soon as we um, got into it, um, we were sent off to the project trip for Sozo. So I can introduce you to Rochelle, who is my roommate. Um, she's from Canada and awesome girl. <laughs> um, this was us on the project, um, interacting with the kids. Amazing design experience. Um, and our project team, your eyes there and... Rochelle and a couple of people from the States. And that's going on Sozo land and site visits. Um, working through a power outage, that was a very common thing. Um, and presenting to the children of Sozo and the staff, that was really cool and seeing their feedback and um, seeing the reactions. So that was a conceptual master plan um, and the full 
master plan. And ideas of a cross that was 10 meters high in an open um, worship chapel. And I got the privilege to design a prayer garden, um, which was really, really cool. Then we're back to the office. Um, so that means I can introduce the rest of the interns that I got really close with and had awesome community with. Um, Shivan from um, Uganda and Raquel from the US. Matthew from Congo, he graduated while we were there, which was awesome for architecture. Um, and Sean and Nathan, who are good friends from the US, um, they knew each other before they came, but they were still allowed to be in the internship together. Um, with the internship, we had a mentor program. This was my mentor, Erin, and her little daughter, Charlotte. Uh, she was just such an inspiration, and we really gelled with our personality types, which is amazing how God can just set that up and put the right person in our lives when we need it the most. Um, so I did some office landscaping, um, got to use some tropical plants, and um, that's that starting to grow. And we're right on the airfield, which was really cool, in the new office there. Rolex, um, that's um, chapati, which is a flatbread with um, like an omelette all rolled up. Um, it's amazing street food. Um, it was like 50 cents for a whole meal. Um, uh, the, and as part of the internship, we had Monday Bible studies. And one day we decided to make a fort inside our house because it was raining. And just that's kind of an example of the kind of community that we had. Just a lot of fun. Not ashamed to be ourselves around each other and just really pushing each other towards God. Um, in, in the Bible study, we did uh, the Minor Prophets, which was really, really cool to um, see that part of the Old Testament and look really deeply into it. Okay. Um, it's a church. Does he want to Okay. Um, we had a quick weekend trip. Um, we got a really good deal for rafting on the Nile, which was a huge tick off the bucket list. It was amazing. Uh, and that's the interns. Um, so what I've learned um, from my time there was... Um, the kingdom of God is alive and well. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all of the garden plants. And that the birds of the air can come and make. <laughs> make nests in its branches, and it's the parable of mustard seed. God is everywhere, but who is able to build him a house since heaven, even highest heaven, cannot contain him? Who am I to build a house for him except as a place to make offerings before him? Um, I've got some thoughts from my journal to share with you guys. makes a bit of sense. Um, reflecting upon my time here in Africa, 
I don't know where to start except with you, God. You are everywhere, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-wisdom, all-strength, all-mercy, all-grace, all-patient, all-just, all-peace, all-love. You have brought me far and wide, just as you said you would, and not once have you left me. I have seen great poverty and need here, Lord. The system is corrupt and does not work for the good of all people. So many lies and deceit makes me feel I can't trust anyone. At first, my thoughts were, what can I do to help try to do something to alleviate the poverty and remove the corruption? Well, those are all great things, but you taught me that I was asking the wrong questions. It's not about what I can do. It's not about me. It's about you. It's about your love for your people. It's about what you are doing in each and every one of our lives. It's about realizing that I and all people are broken and we need you. I need you. It's about not what any one person can do, but what you do through our brokenness. How you are changing our hearts, softened and full of your love. Changing our eyes to be fixed on you, Jesus. Changing me to be in you and your spirit alive in me. Changing me to be always seeking, always hungry for more of you because that means less of me. And in seeking you and longing for more of you in your spirit, spending time with you, listening to your word, your promises and truths. I am surrounded by your character that is above all love, enormous unfailing love that you endlessly fill me up with every day through grace and mercy. And this is not just for me. This is for each and every one of your people. And so as I seek you, your love in me is refracted through your spirit to my love for all those around me. And I seek to pour out your love on all of them, even the ones that are hard to love and to love them well, because it isn't just good deeds. It is obeying you because I love you. God is working in us. I've got a a passage to share. Um, I read this on a blog while I was over there, and I started reading it out loud to my friend, and I hadn't read all the way through, and I just burst into tears because it was just so on point with what I was going through at the time. Um, So I'm going to read it out to you guys. The biblical account of creation reveals an extremely intimate relationship between humanity and God. Out of silence and darkness, God speaks, creating light and water and wind and waves. God populates the earth with creatures that gallop and slither and hop across the ground. God fills the sea with eels and whales and starfish and catfish. God creates trees that bear fruit and grass that reaches into the soil and up towards the heavens. And then from the ground, God crafts humanity. The entirety of God's love toward us tells a story of God himself, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-and-ever-present God, bending toward us, reaching out in our direction, coming toward us before we even knew there was a difference between up and down. God loved us before... God loved us first before we could rack up points or accomplishments or ever-increasing feats of genius to impress God and make him want to love us. We keep reaching, reaching, reaching up as if there is some ladder we should climb. 
our vain attempts at getting God's attention and improving our rank belly the truth that God is love and because he is, he couldn't help but love us first of all. God stoops down and bends over us, even now, just as he did the day he scooped a handful of clay from the earth and made it a human form, letting the soil pack itself around his cuticles. Genesis tells us the story of creation, numbering the events in categories we call days. All manner of living things were crafted from the spoken word of God. Living trees and flowering plants and birds that fly and fish that swim and cows and dogs and ducks and llama, each one birthed into being by the word of God and released into the world to make more of the same and to fill the earth. But we're the only ones over whom God stooped low and pressed his knees into the earth and welcomed dirt beneath his fingernails and shaped us with his very hands. Ours are the bodies created in his very image, beneath which God slid his hands while heavenly fragrances hung in the air and stars danced in the universe. We are the ones God himself lifted towards his heartbeat, and we are the only ones into whom God himself breathed the breath of life. Did you just inhale? Almighty God, he is the first and the last, the beginning and the end. This is the same God bowed low to form us, and he also lifted us um, to himself to give us life. We are the children of the living God. We didn't do a single thing to make that true. We didn't score extra points or run the fastest race before we were created. God chose breath for us. He chose it from the beginning, and he continues to choose breath for us, for you. He reaches out to us, and he lifts us up to himself, giving us form and filling us with life. Um, for me personally, before I left, I was struggling with this tension of do I live in obedience to Christ or do I follow the path that I believe God has for me or do I do what I want to do? <laughs> um, so the first three verses that I have to share are reflective of the way I was thinking and the way I was feeling before I left, the verses that I can really relate to. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. 
One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. So for me at that stage, I was spending, I was spending more than my 40 hours a week at the office. I was working towards a promotion. I wanted to buy a boat. And I was more than determined not to leave Wellington in the midst of this brilliant plan to, to have everything that I really wanted that I've been working for to working towards for quite a while. But the Holy Spirit told me to leave. Another thing I was struggling with. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. For me, again, there was something that I knew that I should be doing. I should be meeting people um, to tell them about my trip to Africa. I should put together a presentation and share it with the church and and inspire and encourage people, but my heart just really wasn't in it. I felt divorced somehow from my actions Hypocrisy, I felt like a hypocrite. And then this one, the seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by life's worries, riches and pleasures, and they do not mature. So it was a very real thing for me. I was close to never attending this. And... If I hadn't had a direct word from the Holy Spirit, I probably would not have gone. Um, But nevertheless, throughout my time in Africa, I had a a change of heart. I believe that the Holy Spirit was working in me, trying to teach me and show me something. And a lot of it was to simplify. It was just to simplify what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, what it means to be a Christian. And this next verse is my simplified explanation of Christianity. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And so here I was about to leave on this trip to Africa that I didn't want to go on. I was about to leave my friends and family and a career that I really wanted to be in. And this tension made me feel like my life was complicated. On top of that, I wanted to go diving and surfing all the time, but I had to work 50 hours a week. There was so much going on that I couldn't see which way was up. I couldn't see which way was left or right either. Like, Was I in the rough now or was I still on the path? Even though I had received a direct word from the Holy Spirit that I was going to be leaving in July, having a conversation with my boss about where I was going and what I was doing when I didn't know wasn't easy. 
But to simplify it, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This final verse is um, how is me trying to understand, all right, I know that I need to love the Lord my God with all my heart and all my soul and all my mind. I know that I need to love others, but what is that? How do I do that? This is to show my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. You are my friends if you do what I command. Now for me, right before I left, I... I had a friend that was struggling with a lot of things and I knew I needed to comfort him, but I felt like God was calling me away. I was bitter a little bit towards God for that as well. But I decided to go out with him at a party. Um, just to provide a little bit of context, a lot of my best friends from Upart College, uh, we grew up around gangs and so there was a lot of drugs and alcohol and violence. But right before I left... He wasn't doing so good. I decided to go to a party with him and have a few drinks. My mistake was that I had one too many and I got drunk. Um, Then leading on from that, he took my van and got arrested. And then leading on from that, um, I didn't have a van. The van was being used by a lot of different people in the community. And people were looking forward to using it. And it was no longer available to them. So my question in all of this was, like, God, I had good intentions of sharing the gospel with my friend. I know that he's struggling with things. Yes, I made a mistake. But what do I do now? The van's gone. It's been impounded. Um, Other people, like, it seems like a backward step. Here you are. You've You've sent me to Upper Heart to share the gospel with my friends. And I've been trying to do that. And it hasn't worked. So this verse, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Reminded me that as a follower of Jesus Christ, as his disciple, that I don't have rights. I have no rights. That I'm just a person. I've been crucified with Christ and no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And the Holy Spirit just told me to forgive him. He told me to to let go of the van. It didn't matter as much as his salvation, but to forgive him the way the Father had forgiven me. And so last night, um, last night I went Back to I went to the went to a party to hang out with all my old mates again, um, and there was one guy in particular who who stood out to me. And he's last time I went to a party with him, he was getting very aggressive and just wanted to find someone and beat them up. And we were having this discussion in the car: do we beat someone up or get high? 
but he's been off drugs for a while and he's got a kid and he's got a good job and he needs to stay off drugs. And so I was trying to, trying to work out what the right thing to do was. Anyway, I saw him again last night and he almost had tears in his eyes and he came up to me. He was really drunk and he came up to me and said, Uriah, I've been following your Facebook page. I've been following everything that you've been doing in Africa and I think it's so awesome. Um, and that really moved me. That was, I believe, the best testimony of God is just doing what we do every day, but praying about it before you do it. Um, and I would just encourage all of you guys here today as well, don't be afraid of making mistakes. Uh we don't have everything sorted. We don't have everything figured out. There's a bit of a gap there to jump, and we're all normal people. Nicole's a normal person. Jess is a normal person. We went on this trip. It's just a trip. It's just in Africa. But there's, you know, there's things. You're in contact with people every day around you. My friends from high school, I've tried not to leave them behind. I try and stay con- connected, and sometimes I fall back into old ruts quite easily, but um, it's still worth it. It's still worth it to carry on, being a light, sharing the gospel, taking on the front line. The thing that I found really encouraging during my time in Africa was watching Jesse and Jacob, how they just acted in obedience to God. There's a verse somewhere in the Bible that says, Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. And whoever loves me will be loved by my Father. I too will love him and show myself to him. And so here, talking about love, how do we love? <sighs> Laying down my life. And also, part of laying down your life, you're able to act in obedience. I found it really encouraging the way Jesse was able to leave his fiance for a few months. That's got to be tough. Leading and getting back right before the wedding, I found it really encouraging how Jesse and Jacob were just walking down the street. They saw a guy who was in need. He was physically hurting. They took him to the hospital. They paid his bills, and then they just ended up spending two full days at the hospital, getting up at eight, spending till lunchtime cooking on coals. And then going to the hospital for five or six hours, praying for people, bringing them food, bringing them water. There's people in the hospital that haven't eaten or drinking in a week. Like They're just so desperate for water and food. Bringing that to them and then praying for them and encouraging them. Don't give up. You can. Your life is worth it. Keep going. And all that started with a simple act of obedience. Um. So, my commandment is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You're my friends if you do what I command. I was going to go into a time of prayer, but we've gone 10 minutes over, so we've used up all of our time. But I'd encourage you guys sometime, because this is what I was hoping to do with us, is that we could just pray in solitude, each of us individually, 
about someone that we we're going to meet later on in the day, someone that we're going to um, be working with in our jobs, and just have an ordinary day conversation with them as you would any other day. It's a boring, mundane task, but as soon as you pray about it before you go into it, it becomes powerful. So um, that's all we've got to share this morning, and I'm sure we've got some more songs to get into. So thanks. Jesse, can we have you come on up? And, and Pete, I'm wondering, can you come up and pray for these guys as we bless them on their way out? Thank you for coming to encourage and inspire us. And uh, can I encourage you guys to get around them as well more? Ask them more questions. Spend time with them. I, I'm loving some of the stuff that's coming out. Thanks for coming up. Congratulations too, man. So we'll, I'll pass over to Pete. And Pete, as you pray for us, and then we'll just be released as Pete's done. Jacob's still in Africa. He's still doing it. So we, we should still lift up Jacob as well. So thanks, Pete. Father, we want to thank you this morning for the stories we've heard. We thank you that you work in miraculous and wonderful ways. We take, you take ordinary, everyday, garden variety type people and you do miraculous things through them. And we thank you, Father, that the stories we've heard today is more about how you've changed us and how you've done something in our lives and how you've brought something of your kingdom to bear on ours, how you've changed our perspective. And so we want to thank you for these uh, these dear ones and their obedience. We want to thank you that they have listened to your voice, your voice as you, your word says that uh, my people, my children, hear my voice. I call them by name and lead them out. And we thank you these guys have been obedient to that. And we just pray anointing on them. We pray, Father, that as you started this work in their lives, as you started revealing more of your your love, more of your nature, more of your plans and your purposes, Lord, that you just continue to light this fire in them that would spread through to others as they share the life that they have received from you. So we thank you for them. We ask for your blessing upon them. We pray, Lord, that the what has started will continue, and Lord, that that, that lives would truly be changed because Jesus makes a difference in people's lives. We thank you for that. We declare your goodness and your purposes over our lives today. In Jesus' precious name and for your glory. And God's people said, Amen. I think there's going to be tea and coffee out there. Fellowship. Have some time together. Inus. Can I just say thank you, Uriah and Nicole, for being so real. It was really inspirational and just God comes through you so much and it's like Viv said at the beginning with the worship, you know, we can be so real before God but sometimes it's really hard to be real in front of a whole lot of other people but you were really real and God shines through you and just loved your whole presentation. You gave us the nuts and bolts of what the ministries were about, what you did. But I loved the way you shared what you've learned through it. And bless your heaps. Mm, thank you. Thanks, Ines.